Welcome to the Rise of the Ecopreneur, a podcast presented to you by Ubuntu. Ubuntu is a collaboration platform connecting sustainability changemakers all across the globe. I'm your host, Shelby, otherwise known as Shelbizzle on YouTube, where I make other sustainability content. And each week on the podcast, I'll be speaking to environmental changemakers whose research, campaigns, innovations are helping to create a more sustainable future. So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcasting platform and stay tuned for future episodes. Today on the podcast, we have Tom Suzeki, who is a man of many accomplishments. Not only did he found TerraCycle, one of the world's largest recycling coordinators, but he also helped found the brand new innovation known as Loop, combining some of the world's biggest brands to become more eco-friendly and buy into the sustainable reusable market. He also recently wrote a book called The Future of Packaging, and we'll get to learn more about that from him today. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I am so, so excited to have you on today. I have so many questions for you. I know you are a very busy man, but we always like to start out the podcast by asking our guests how you became interested in sustainability in the first place. That's a good question. You know, for me, um, uh, I've always loved uh, business uh, and I like it because I feel like business is the most powerful tool for change. I think it's uh, frankly more powerful than war, disease, politics, you know, any of these other big forces. And one challenge, though, is while it's a very powerful tool for change, it doesn't always have a moral compass, you know. And traditionally, business is taught that the purpose of business is profit to shareholders. And that statement doesn't say, should, you know, should the way you get profit be good or bad? It just says profit. And, you know, to me, that's the problem. I really want to try to create uh, business concepts whose purpose is to help society or the environment or ideally both while being profitable and, uh, you know, able to grow and, uh, and sustain. And, you know, that's really how TerraCycle has, has come about. And really what I you know, try to promote is, is this type of for-profit business activity. Okay. So would you consider yourself a businessman first or an environmentalist first, or can you even weigh them? It doesn't, uh, no, I'd say both, you know, I, uh, want to be an environmentalist with my tool being business. You know, other environmentalists, their tool may be protest or, or other factors. I just think the tool of business is an incredibly powerful one uh, uh, and uh, the biggest vehicle that I can leverage to create meaningful change quickly. You know, I have to say, I am pretty much in agreement with you that business is the biggest mode for change. And I know a lot of people in the environmental movement would disagree with me, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But I for now wanted to talk about, I know you went to Princeton. I believe you dropped out. So what were you studying while you were in school? Um, So I was uh, uh, studying behavioral economics, uh, which is the psychology and uh, intersect of psychology and economics and sort of why people make decisions the way they do, you know, especially irrational ones. Wow. Okay. Super interesting. Very interesting choice of study. But little tidbit here, I went to school to study environmental science and my second choice was actually psychology. And while I was at school, I found that a lot of my like peers, their second choice was also psychology and their major was environmental science. So it seems there's some sort of pathway there. Like, have you noticed that at all? Oh, I think everything weaves into everything. So I I think you're absolutely right. And probably even more than we realize. I definitely think that parallel is super intriguing and something I'd like to kind of pay attention to more. But aside from that, you kind of married what you're passionate about and sustainability and you came up with TerraCycle. So can you tell us a little bit about the beginning steps of that? 
Well, it was a startup, you know, my freshman year of college. Uh, so I started out of a dorm room and then, uh, you know, grew from there. And the first things we did was make products out of uh, garbage, which for us began with creating worm poop in used soda bottles. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, we be basically became a worm poop company. We grew from there, uh, you know, to a few million in sales. And then we started adding other products made from waste. And then by about year five, we'd been become about a six million dollar lawn and garden company making products entirely out of garbage from rain barrels, from wine barrels to uh, liquid worm poop in a soda bottle and so on and so forth. You know, we realized that by making products out of waste, we're never going to use the really difficult waste streams uh, because when you make a product, you make the product the hero. So you, you know, always try to get the best type of, uh, of raw material, even if it's technically garbage. And uh, we then shifted our business to really focus on the the, the waste that we you know uh, uh, collect as the real hero, and then think about what we can make from it. And that really turned TerraCycle into what it is today, uh, which is and we have five major divisions now. The first is you know focusing on how do we collect and recycle things that are not recyclable, you know, from dirty diapers to chewing gum to cosmetic waste and toothbrushes. Uh, the second is focused on how do we integrate waste back into uh, consumer products like ocean plastic into head and shoulders bottles and many other examples. The third is what we just launched recently called Loop, which is all about how do we move from disposable to durable. And then we have some emerging business models like our, found, uh, our diagnostics division, which is about how can you analyze residual matter in a waste stream to help improve consumers' lives like the poop in a diaper. And uh, we also have just started a foundation which is focusing on uh, the emerging region in Southeast Asia and how to bring waste solutions to those communities. See, I told you, very, very busy man. Um, I will get into some more of those things that you talked about earlier, but sticking with TerraCycle, I've been a big fan of the company as a whole for a very long time, but it's very interesting because you guys are essentially just like a middleman who finds where to recycle something or just coordinates the recycling. So I'm wondering if you could give us like an example of what that coordination looks like from start to finish. Yeah, absolutely. So do you want to pick a waste stream? Just pick anything. We probably have a program on and I'll tell you how it works. Mm. Oh, for sure. Let's go with cosmetics because that's something my audience asks me about a lot. Sure. So let's go cosmetics. So the first step begins by uh, thinking about what companies may care about cosmetics more than others. So uh, an intuitive one will uh, be the cosmetic companies themselves, you know, like L'Oreal or Estee Lauder or, you know, Procter & Gamble, Unilever and others. So mm -hmm. we would go to these companies, all of those are partners of ours, uh, and they would fund us to enable systems where we can collect and recycle cosmetic waste. What they effectively pay for is whatever it costs us to collect the cosmetic waste and process it versus, uh, minus whatever we can sell that recycled cosmetic waste for. And usually the costs are always greater than the value. That's what sort of makes it not recyclable today. Um, and by having them fund the difference, we can, in fact, make it recyclable. Now, the benefit to them is they get to claim that their packaging is recyclable. They get to leverage that. And hopefully people like their products more than, uh, than uh, the competition, which pays the bill effectively. And then what we do is we set up platforms off TerraCycle.com where you can go to the website, join one of our recycling programs, and, uh, and recycle these waste streams at absolutely no cost. We even many times allocate a small donation for every piece of waste that you uh, collected to a charity or school of your choice. And I think to date we have given away, I think about $45 million in these uh, uh, donations. So I'm gonna check for sure uh, what the number is. Um, okay. But somewhere around that line. 
Uh, looks like 44.8 million so far today. Uh, and there's about 200 million people running these types of platforms with us. You know, that's our, our uh, one way. You know, another group that really cares about, say, cosmetic waste could be the retailers. Um, you know, people who sell cosmetics, you know, maybe more than others, like a pharmacy or a company like, a, you know, a cosmetic retailer. And what we do in this uh, uh, capacity is we, again, work with them, but in this case, probably set up in-store collection programs. So with L'Occitane en Provence, for example, in 20, 21 countries, we have in-store recycling in the L'Occitane stores or with Kiehl's in the UK, uh, US and Japan, you can go to a Kiehl's store and drop off your recycling or your, your Kiehl's packaging in a TerraCycle uh, bin. And so there, instead of the brand funding it, it would be the retailer, uh, you know, and effectively doing it as a way to drive sustainability or get more foot traffic, for example, to their, uh, to their location. Um, so that's our, our first model in cosmetics. Then if you just work through cosmetics as a waste stream, then once we're starting to do that with partners, we then think about how can we integrate waste back into those cosmetic packages. So for example, uh, you know, with say RenClean Skincare, which is a luxury cosmetic, we help them make one of their bottles from 80% ocean plastic, where instead of collecting and recycling, we are supplying them back um, uh, material that is unique uh, and that they would integrate into their uh, system or into their products. And then finally, with Loop, we work with these companies, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, and take it again for cosmetics, you know, like Living Proof, which is a shampoo brand or Pantene, you know, which is also a shampoo brand uh, to help move their pa packaging from disposable and ironically owned by the consumer in the end to ultra durable, beautifully designed and never owned by the consumer instead borrowed, uh, which sort of imagine mashing up the milkman model, uh, but with beautiful design with these products. And that's sort of, you know, how a co cosmetics as a waste stream would go through our, our various models. Okay, I really appreciate you laying all that out for us because without that explanation, it might be hard to kind of envision exactly what TerraCycle does. But also what I'm hearing is that you guys believe in the true term of sustainability where like sustainability meets also economic sustainability. So environment and economics has to make sense. Recycling has to be valuable to make it sustainable long term. Exactly right. Exactly right. You know, but the, the, the nice thing is any type of waste can go through this process, you know, uh, and, and can be solved. I mean, truly, even the things that you, you can never imagine were solvable. I see. So it sounds like you guys have it all figured out. But are there any areas where TerraCycle hasn't been able to find a solution for that particular like material to be recycled? You know, it's a good question. And uh, the only time we're not able to take part and do something is if the law prevents us from doing so. So, for example, there's certain waste streams that are regulated and cannot legally be um, recycled. Um, certain medical waste may fall into that category. And then, you know, unfortunately, we're restricted uh, to work on them. Um, but those are, you know, I wouldn't get too down about that. That's very sort of, you know, far and few between. Well, speaking of getting down about what is or is not recyclable, there's actually also a lot of criticism about recycling itself not being a viable solution 
to sustainability. And I know that you guys have already kind of figured out something that's not just recycling, but it's reusing and you call it loop. So I would love to hear a little bit more about what you think about the criticism of recycling. And is that the reason you created loop? And what is loop? Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. Well, you know, to be very fair to your question, um, and I say this to the company who is known for globally recycling hard to recycle materials and then putting garbage back into products, you know, really making things recycled and recyclable. I also agree that recycling is not the answer. I think that it's great, critically important, but not the the solution to waste. I think, and this is where Loop came came to be, is how do we create a a business that can really be embraced by the world's biggest organizations, the biggest companies who sell and the biggest companies who make things, you know, producers and retailers, where we could solve waste at the root cause. And I think the root cause of waste is disposability, you know, or using something once. Now, then at the interesting point, it's easy to vilify disposability because, you know, it uh, creates garbage, you know, it's super, super simple. But I think it's also very important to see why disposability won, you know, why it's such a, you know, such a, a big thing, why it took over, you know, almost all products, including clothing, you know, and food and so on. And it's because it's incredibly convenient and affordable. And I think we need to mash up the benefits of disposability while solving the negatives. And that's the thesis for Loop. So, you know, Loop just launched at the World Economic Forum in Switzerland or was announced there three and a half weeks ago. And it's sort of taken the world by storm. You know, we've gotten a lot of uh, amazing response uh, from the public on it. Sign up rates are just incredibly high. Um, and what Loop has done is it works, and you can see more about it if you go to loopstore.com if you want to see photos or videos about what it all looks like. And basically, we're working with, you know, uh, most of the world's biggest manufacturers from Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Pepsi, Coke, Nestle, Clorox, SC Johnson, you know, and the Mars and the, and the list goes on to reinvent their products from being disposable and owned by the consumer in the end to being ultra durable, beautifully designed with amazing materials and even more functional, but never being owned by the consumer in the end, instead just being borrowed by the consumer. And the shift from ownership by you not having to own your packages, it actually allows the products to continue to be really cheap. Um, and then when you're done with the package, you still have a completely disposable experience. You know, you effectively throw it out in the bin. The only difference is that bin is now a reuse bin instead of a waste bin. And we at Loop pick it up, clean it, uh, clean the packaging, and then provide it back to uh, manufacturing partners like Nestle and P&G, who then refill it with their famous content and around it goes. So there's a lot going on there. There are a lot of big names that almost any consumer would know that you just mentioned. And I'm wondering how this came to be. Did it take a lot of convincing to get these companies to work with you on essentially developing all new packaging to make reusable packaging? Do you say it took a lot of convincing and it was helpful that you kind of already had a relationship with them through TerraCycle? Or do you think that they did this a lot also because they were ready for it because they saw the market and consumers essentially were demanding it? It's all of the above, I would say. Like it took a tremendous amount of convincing, but they were also to some degree ready for it because, you know, we are in a waste crisis. They are seeing that very, very, very clearly and agreeing with it. I think that, you know, all of that coming together uh, is what allowed, you know, and also that we've been working with these companies for a while. So we have a good understanding and they know us and we've had a lot of good success that that history of collaboration, plus a lot of convincing, plus the timing being right, 
And that loop is not just about sustainability, but about the future of how we purchase products. Um, and it's also about amazing design. All those things together is, I think, what brought this to be. So exciting. I think this is probably one of the most exciting developments in sustainability that I've seen in the last few years. So I'm wondering how long it took to develop this. I know this could not have happened overnight. So did it take a really long time to develop all of this? Or what's the ballpark number from kind of start to launch? It took about two years from idea to launch, and we were, we're going blisteringly fast. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's moved quite uh, uh, quickly, but yes, about two years in total to make it happen. That actually does seem really fast in terms of having to convince and develop a whole new system like you guys did. So props to you for that. Where is Loop starting? Where is the first launch? As far as I understand, it's in New York. Is that right? Yeah, well, the first launch actually is going to be May 14th in Paris. Uh, that'll be the first okay. one. Then seven days later in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, the launch itself is in Manhattan, but it'll service those three states. And then in September in London, and then more from there. Amazing. Well, I'm super excited to see how the launch goes. I'm super excited to see how it develops from here. And you mentioned that people who are signing up everywhere it's launching, sign up, start through the roof. It's doing really well in terms of consumers' re reactions to it. But I am an influencer in the zero waste space, and so I am kind of aware of some of the criticisms that have been put onto Loop and kind of more specifically the brands involved in Loop. And a lot of those criticisms involve saying that this is some form of greenwashing and that it's not really as sustainable as it may be made out to be. So I'm wondering what TerraCycle's response is from that or any of the brand's response as well. Well, so let me ask you this question. What is greenwashing? Can you define it? Sure. Well, I don't know that I could give the exact definition off the top of my head sort of thing, but I think the overall idea is that whenever a company makes themselves out to look like they are sustainable or environmentally friendly or any of those sort of things, but it's really just a mask over what they're actually doing behind the scenes that really isn't so eco-friendly overall. But so I, I think you nailed it, right? You said that it's seems to be good for the environment, but probably isn't, right? Like that, that to me is greenwashing, is when it's manipulative, when a product is launched that seems greener than it is. Mm, yeah. You know, so to me, here's a good example. I think biodegradable packaging is the epicenter of greenwashing mm -hmm. because nothing that is biodegradable gets biodegraded, you know, so much so that actually Tesco, the biggest retailer in the UK, has banned straight up banned biodegradable packaging from their stores because they found that composters will sort it out and dispose it and never compost it because it's a contaminant to compost. Yeah, well, the topic of biodegradable is actually really interesting to me in general because as far as I'm aware, there's no one in the U.S. that regulates the term biodegradable because composting and biodegradable are really two separate things. And the word biodegradable isn't regulated by anyone that I know of. So essentially, anyone can put that on their packaging and it doesn't really mean anything because everything is essentially biodegradable. It just some things take a lot longer than others. But the joke mm -hmm. is industrial composters don't want it. They view it as a contaminant. And so to me, that is greenwashing because that is o overtly false. And consumers will reward those brands thinking they're green when the reality is that it's not. 
inversely, I would say, you know, Loop is not greenwashing because it is foundationally significantly more environmentally friendly to put your Haagen-Dazs ice cream into a reusable container instead of a non-recyclable disposable container. In fact, it's about 75% better for the environment looking at it in LCAs. And I don't think it matters if that ice cream was made by Nestle or if it was made by Unilever or if it was made by some local, you know, uh, organic, uh, you know, you name it, everything you want in an ice cream producer, right? Because it, the ice cream is the same no matter what. It's the change you should be looking at and the change is, is really important in the package point of view, right? And so I think why it's important these big, these big companies do this even if you don't agree with their content is because they are the majority of what people buy full stop and let's change right. the biggest areas you know so here's an example greenpeace who was actually their CEO, their head of greenpeace international was on our press conference at davos which is super cool because so was the ceo of procter and gamble and pepsico and greenpeace yeah. has put out a list a little earlier i think sometime last year of the top 10 contributors to plastic pollution in the world, the top 10 companies who contribute to plastic pollution. Eight of those, eight of 10 are loop partners. And one of the, one of the, uh, uh, so eight of 10 are active loop partners. And within a month, it'll be nine out of 10. So look, whether you agree with those companies' products or not, it doesn't matter. They are what make up the world's consumption. And let's change the masses, you know. Uh, and look, in parallel, we're also working with you know, little companies, startups, you know, uh, uh, companies that focus on vegan products or different things, they will be there too. But, you know, if I'm going to change anyone, I want to change the biggest out there. Well, I'm really glad you mentioned that because that was actually my next question about the smaller brands. Because when I mentioned I was going to be interviewing you, a lot of my audience asked me to ask you if you would be including smaller brands alongside these big names. And just to, just to build on that, by the way, is we proudly are working with startups, you know, companies that don't even have revenue yet, uh, small companies mm -hmm. as well. Uh, Loop is really for everybody. Um, it's not just for the big ones. It just happens that when a big company changes so profoundly, it gets a lot of attention. For sure. Those big names drew in a lot of attention, getting a lot of media coverage, that sort of thing. And since we know that it is all these big brands involved, they're the ones who, like you said, most people are using, most people are already consuming. So would you say that the target customer, because of that, is the average person who doesn't even know about zero waste options, the person who doesn't have access or really even the time or care to figure out how to live a more eco-friendly lifestyle, would you say that the target customer is not someone like me who kind of already has zero waste figured out? I'm wondering, I guess that's my perception of it, that the target customer would be like your average user of these products, not someone like me. What do you think? Oh, I am 100% agreed with you. You know, to me, the real magic of Loop is that you can love it for multiple reasons. You can love it because it is profoundly more eco-friendly and way more sustainable. I think everyone can agree reuse is better than disposal or recycling. I mean, that's what we're taught in elementary school. Reduce, reuse, recycle, which, by the way, means the very best thing to do is don't buy anything and don't even buy Loop products. Like, just don't buy. That is the best. Then if you're going to buy... Reuse is better and then uh, recycling and then disposal. So people from an environmental point of view should really like it. But people who just like better design should love it as well because the design in Loop is epically better. I mean, not even comparable to disposability. You know, how can you compare, you know, a uh, Tide, for example, in either a, a single-use HDPE bottle 
or a, or a reusable stainless steel container. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's in a whole different ballpark. So if you like design, then it's for you. And if you like both, why not? And the part that's important about the design and the convenience being so big is this should appeal to the people who don't even care about the environment. You know, people who deny climate change should still like Loop. And man, we got to get those people as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it does make it even more convenient, right? Because it comes straight to your door. You don't even have to go out to the store to get it. So yeah, it, it comes to your store. So yeah, it comes to your door. It's even picked up from your door. And uh, you don't have to clean anything. You get to live your life in a disposable mentality, but experience reuse. You know, if you think about all the amazing packaging-free supermarkets that are out there today, you know, and they're truly uh, uh, amazing ideas, they are till still small businesses and will maintain to be small businesses because they're asking the consumer to do a lot, you know, to clean the packaging at home and bring it into mm -hmm. a store and then fill it by hand. That is relative to throwing it on buying a new one phenomenally inconvenient they tend to not focus on design you know your toothbrush becomes a bamboo toothbrush which is less capable you know than a modern design toothbrush or your um, your package becomes the quintessential mason jar right i think we need to do both <laughs> i think we need to aggressively reinvent the concept of design and if people go to loopstore.com they'll see some of the most epic designs out there and also win on the environment and not compromise on convenience or affordability mm, you know something you said there actually made me think of this so i feel like the alternative is these smaller shops right but in order to purchase something from a smaller shop, you first got to know that there's a problem with what you're doing in the first place, right? There are all these hoops to jump through to realize that plastic is a problem and then try to figure out what the solutions are and then try to figure out where you can get those solutions. It's just a lot to jump through, a lot to figure out for the average person. And it would take infinitely longer to try to educate the entire population on all of those things when Loop is a much more streamlined alternative. And look, I think those companies are amazing, you know, and, and incredible. And if people, you know, uh, have access to them and are up for using them, please, you know, do so. I think it's critically important. And in fact, you know, we're partnering with many of them to put them into the Loop ecosystem so they can experience, you know, this greater distribution and, and access and be beside you know, the reusable uh, mass market products as well. Well, good. I think we're both in agreement that people who kind of already have the zero waste thing figured out, they stick with their alternatives and Loop is a great alternative for people who don't have access or the education surrounding what it takes to, you know, live a more eco-friendly lifestyle. Um, with all that in mind, I do really, really appreciate your transparency on this. Um, this podcast is through Ubuntu and I am essentially the host, but I know a lot of my audience from my personal social media will be listening to this and I think they'll really appreciate how transparent you've been and how greatly you've been able to kind of head on take the criticism. Oh, I know. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's great to connect and talk about these things. And I think it's important too to ask, you know, those questions that are roaming around in people's minds, you know, like like what you said about, you know, uh, uh, the content of the products, you know, and what's the point of view. And in fact, at Loop, we made a very tough decision as we said, we have certain rules and those are the only rules we're going to focus on. So our rules at Loop are the packaging must be reusable or it's not allowed in the system. Mm -hmm. Content, there's really three types of content. There's content that cannot be recovered, you know, like uh, orange juice or, uh, you know, fabric detergent. And there, we have no point of view as long as the content is legal, right? Which means we may work with content some people don't like, but that's the decision. Yeah. 
Um, and then there's content that can be recovered, but is unreasonable to reuse, like, uh, say, um, a dirty diaper or a dirty, you know, uh, a tampon or a dirty razor blade. And there, to be in loop, those must be recoverable and must be recycled. So loop will be the first time disposable diapers, uh, razor blades, toothbrush heads are recycled in a number of countries. And then if it can be recovered and is reasonable to reuse, like the bottom of a toothbrush, like uh, you know the tube of a pen, then it must go to reuse. And those are the rules. And so far, those are the only rules. You know, and that way, it'll, it, it enables people to really become a part of the platform, you know, brands of all kinds, and take a meaningful step in the right direction. You know? Yes, completely agree. Uh, so where can people go if they want to find out if this is coming to their area or when it's coming to their area? Can they be notified when it's coming to their area? That sort of thing. Where can they go to get that information from you guys? Well, so the, the easiest thing to do is go to loopstore.com and uh, there you can register and we'll let you know when it's in your city. Um, the first city launching will be Paris, as I mentioned, in May 14 and its suburbs, then New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey on May 21, then London and its suburbs in September, Toronto, Canada and its suburbs in January, and then uh, we have Jap Jap Japan and German launches coming up uh, in 2020 as well. Wonderful. Well, I will definitely be keeping an eye on Loop, seeing how it develops. I'm very interested to know how the pilot goes and all that sort of stuff. I just wanted to wrap this up by letting you talk a little bit about your most recent endeavor, um, your book, The Future of Packaging. I believe it launched just at the beginning of February, and uh, I'd love to know a little bit more about it, what it's about. I just got it in my hands, actually, uh, just started reading it. But if you could give us a little bit of synopsis of what we could look forward to in the book. Right on. Yeah, no, uh, Future Packaging, uh, just you're absolutely right, uh, hit, hit shelves about a week ago. Uh, and uh, what's really cool about the future of packaging, it's a collaboration, you know, so uh, uh, it's uh, myself and 15 of my uh, friends in the waste industry, everyone from, uh, you know, the former head of the EPA, Ron Gonan, who started Recycle Bank and now runs the Closed Loop Fund, all the way to Paul Pullman, uh, uh, former CEO of uh, Unilever, so some folks who really have been working in this space in an amazing way. And uh, what we talk about is, why did packaging waste come to be? Um, uh, why is it the way it is? Where is it trending? And then especially how to think away from it uh, in a way that's very pragmatic and uh, and can be uh, actioned. We're really thrilled. It's done really well so far, um, you know, and we're really pleased to see people uh, uh, reading it. And like I think one of the biggest learnings from it, let's say, is we realized that the industry is asking the wrong question to the waste man. So like the people who make, you know, the retailers uh, and producers and so on are asking the wrong question uh, to the garbage industry. You know, so when people make a package or design something, they call, you know, the uh, recyclers, if they even do, they call recyclers and say, can you compost this or can you recycle this? And many times they get favorable answers like, yes, we can. But it's the wrong question. You know, the question that uh, producers uh, or makers uh, or even people who buy those products, consumers, should be asking the garbage industry is not can you, but would you want to? And the striking sort of uh, realization is many times the answer to would you want to is very different than can you. And maybe the best illustration of that is what we talked about earlier, biodegradable packaging, where 
I think many people feel like biodegradable is is phenomenally good. And what happened is the biodegradable industry, people who make bags, you know, like a packaging like PLA, which is a type of biodegradable plastic, ask composters, could you degrade this package? And the answer was absolutely yes. And that is a honest answer. It's absolutely um, accurate that it will degrade in a compost pile, uh, in an industrial compost pile. But the question should have been, would you want to? Because if they asked that question, composters would have said no. Um, it actually degrades the quality of our compost. Hmm. Okay. Well, like I said, I just got it. I just started it. So I'll keep everybody updated on what I think in the future as well. But I know it's on Amazon. Uh, where else can people pick it up if they want? Oh, it, it's all over, you know, any uh, major bookstore, uh, you know, and Amazon and so on. Perfect. Well, I think that just about covers all the things I wanted to make sure I was able to talk to you about today. It's been amazing so far. Um, and just to wrap this up, I know you guys have done so much recently, uh, clearly, just from what we've talked about here. But what is upcoming for you, TerraCycle slash Loop, anything like that? Well, what's coming up to give you a sneak peek is uh, we recently formed our diagnostic division uh, and that will you'll start you know hearing about it probably in a year, maybe two years from now. And the thesis of our diagnostic division is there's many waste streams that have diagnosable samples. Um, and, uh, you know, imagine uh, the uh, fecal matter on a diaper or the saliva on a toothbrush or the hair on a razor blade or the cat, use cat litter in a kitty litter box and so on and so forth. And we're setting up a division that will give consumers the opportunity that when they send in their waste, they can have the waste stream diagnosed to send them information uh, before it is recycled. And so we're really excited to see where that goes. Amazing. Well, we will definitely keep an eye on you because all the endeavors you seem to take on are definitely worth referring to, talking about, and knowing everything there is to know about. Uh, and since you are such a busy man, I really want to thank you for taking the time to discuss all this with me today. And uh, I think I'll let you go. Rock and roll. It's great to chat with you. You as well. And thank you again. Thanks. I appreciate your time. Again, today, my guest has been Tom Sazenki of TerraCycle and clearly many other endeavors as well. I really, really enjoyed getting the opportunity to talk to him. So I hope you enjoyed it as well. And if you did, it would mean the world to us if you left us a review on iTunes. It really helps us gauge what you're enjoying and what you'd like to see more of. Or if you've already taken the time to leave us a review, you could also share this with your friends and family on your social media. If you do that, make sure to use the hashtag Ubuntu podcast so that I see it and I'll like it myself. Also, if you have any suggestions for the podcast and who you'd like to see as a guest, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at shellbizzle, S-H-E-L-B-I-Z-L-E-E-E, -E -E, or you can send me an email at podcast at ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-O-O.com. I'm your host, Shelby, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.